Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Well, thank you to our worship teams at all of our campuses today. Thank you for being here at Rock Spring and always want to remind you that we're not just meeting here today. We're meeting at our Rossville campus, our Dalton campus, online campus. We'll have a lot of people watching online today because of all the travel and wherever you're engaging with us. Thank you for doing that and being part of what we're doing here at Peavine. Thank you so much. I'm, I've, I failed to mention this earlier. If you're at a campus somewhere, uh, Rock Spring, I've, I, it jogged my memory when I uh, was out in the hallway a minute ago. There's, there's probably still some Easter par- paraphernalia left over. We've got some of those boxes for $5 you can use as a gift to invite somebody. I saw a couple of yard signs. There can't be many at any of the campuses left. Uh, some invite cards, some window decals. Grab those. Put two on your car. We don't need any of these left over. Put two on your car if, if you want another one. and uh, Or just be the crazy person in town and cover your whole back window with them. We don't need any more of those. Grab as many as you need because, as we said earlier, we're on the final countdown. Well, I started a sermon series. This will be the fifth sermon, final sermon. Call, no, this is the fourth sermon, rather. Next week's the final sermon called The Q-Zone, answering life's most important questions. We've looked at, is there a God? And really the question is, do I want there to be a God? We've looked at suffering and purpose in life. Today, I want to answer a fourth question about that's important in our lives, and that is, does God love me? It's the relationship problem, we'll call it. There is a God. And by the way, I'm, not, I'm going to show you the Bible verses today. I'm, I'm using multiple Bible verses, so I'm just going to show them to you. So just have a pen and pencil out. There is a God. We've established the fact the Bible never tries to prove that there's a God. The Bible assumes in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning uh, was God. Like it just states it from the beginning. But we know God exists, but the question becomes uh, really what may be the more important question in our lives is, does God know we exist? And does God know we exist? And does God love me if he knows I exist? Now, that seems like a simple question. You're, you're, you're attending a Baptist church this morning and uh, from little on up. We've sung songs like, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's not true in every religion. As a matter of fact, that's not been true for the majority of time that the world has, didn't know what to do or never had a God that loved them. You, you go back to our founding fathers, the majority of our founding fathers, or a good, a good many of our founding fathers would be what we call deists today. Deism was very popular when our nation was being founded. Many of our founding fathers were deists, and here's what a deist believes, that there is a God, but he cares nothing about humanity. That there is a God, but he doesn't want a relationship with you. That there is a God, but he doesn't love you, he doesn't care about you, and he's not going to be involved in normal day-to-day life with you. There is a God, but he's not trying to build a relationship with you. He's not trying to speak to you. He's not trying to engage you whatsoever. That has been the more normal theology throughout history when people serve gods. And when I say gods, I mean with a little g. The, The normal has never been a God who loves us. 
If you go back to the Greek and Roman gods, for example, just to give you a couple this morning, Zeus was the Greek god, and as the king of the gods, Zeus was a powerful and wrathful figure who could unleash thunderbolts on those who defied him. In the myth of Prometheus, Zeus punishes Prometheus for giving fire to humans by chaining them to a rock and having an eagle eat his liver every day. That was the god the world served before Christ. There was Hera, who was also the Greek queen of the gods and the goddess of marriage. Hera was often portrayed as jealous and vengeful. In the myth of Hercules, Hera sends snakes to kill the infant Hercules. Well, then there's, in Greek mythology, the goddess Athena was associated with wisdom and justice, but was also known for her wrath and her tendency to take revenge. They were petty, petty gods. Well, then you Flip over into Roman, and by the way, I could have done this all morning. In Roman mythology, the god Jupiter was associated with justice and order, but was known for his anger and tendency to punish those who defiled him. These are the gods the world served, the world worshiped before Christ came along. Those were the gods of the world. And the concept of a loving, caring, relational God was unheard of. The world was terrified of the gods. Again, little g. The world was terrified of the people they worship. They wanted nothing to do with them. As a matter of fact, their worship was not relational in nature. Their worship was appeasement in nature. Meaning they just wanted to keep the gods away from them. They just wanted to keep the gods off their back. And then Christ came along and suddenly we roll into our Christian culture and Christ has made a loving God the norm. As a matter of fact, we'll, I'll, I'll show you that, that the belief in a loving God is actually beneficial to society. Here, here's what we know. A study of Pew Research found that 95% of Christians in the United States believe in a loving God. By the way, compared to 65% of non-Christians. In, in the study found that Christians who attend religious services regularly are more likely to believe in a loving God than those who do not. So here's what we know. If you come to church... You're very familiar with the concept of loving God. If you've been through Sunday school and you, you, you've sung Jesus loves me, this I know, you're familiar. But listen, believing in this concept of a loving God is actually beneficial to your life. It, it, people who believe in a loving God report fewer symptoms of depression and anxiety. Can you imagine how anxious and depressed you were if Zeus was your God? I mean, waiting for a thunderbolt any day. Waiting, waiting to be, I mean, can you imagine being a mama and having a baby and, and hoping that some petty God wasn't going to send snakes to devour your baby? Yes, you would be less anxious if you believe in a loving God. And get this, uh, a study said parents who view God as loving and supportive presence in their lives are more likely to have positive relationships with their children. Look, believing a loving God makes our lives better. But when we talk about a loving God, <laughs> we almost don't understand what that means. So we, we believe it. Those of us in the building, watching online, wherever we may be in a building, listen, we believe it. We hold to it. There's a loving God out there. And now the problem in our culture is we don't understand that concept. So can I walk you through this morning what does it mean to have a loving God? What does it mean to have 
a God, Jesus, who loves me. And the Bible tells me that. I want to I tell you seven things about a loving God day. I know some of you just melted in your seat. You're like, lunch, I got it. Seven quick things, seven quick things. I always call this a, a blog post sermon. I'm going to give you seven quick things like I was writing a blog post about the love of God. And I'm hopefully going to take us somewhere as I talk about it. Can I give you seven things? Number one is this. Here's what I want you to know, that God is love. Right, 1 John 4, 8. The one who does not love does not know God because why? God is love. Love is a divine attribute of God. Love is a core aspect of God's character. Everything God does is loving. And God is the perfect example of love. So can I make a blanket statement that God is love? Yes, I can. Because everything God does is loving. Everything that emanates from the throne of heaven is loving. Every operation of God in humanity, in the culture, even in my life personally, every operation of God is loving. Why? Because a core characteristic of God is he is love. And when God is love, it means he is the perfect example of love. You want to find out how to be loving? You read how God loves us. That's why, by the way, the Bible says the husbands who are supposed to love their wives, that we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Why would he tell us that? Because Christ is the perfect example of how to love your bride because he loved his bride so much. He gave his life for her. He sacrificed his life for her, which by the way, men is the kind of love we're to have to our wives. We can use Christ as our example because God is the perfect example of love. What does that mean to me? What are the implications of God is love? That means three things, at least I can say this morning. Number one, it means we can trust him. You ever been in a relationship where you couldn't trust somebody? You know why you couldn't trust them? Because love wasn't really present in the relationship. Here's what the Bible says, that perfect love cast out all fear. Why, why is that statement? Because when there is genuine love in a relationship, I can trust the person that is loving me. And that is absolutely true with God. Listen to me this morning. You can trust God because God does love you. Second thing it means is he's always looking out for our good. God's not about to send thunderbolts. As a matter of fact, you, you remember the disciples in the New Testament? They were like, let's kill them, Lord. And Jesus was more like this. I'm going to give my life for those very people you're talking about in just a moment. He is always looking out for our good. The third thing it means is that we can rest in him, that we can give him our lives and with confidence know that we can rest when we've given our lives to him. I have found a loving God this morning and his name is Jesus. Jesus loves me, this I know. And he can be trusted and we know he's always looking for our good and because of that we can rest in him. I won't ask you how many of you have ever gotten an email from me asking you to help bail me out of Africa or Nigeria before. There, there, there's somebody, we're, we're getting some spam on our website and somebody will go to our w website and they, they, they take my name and they mimic me, but it's not quite my email address. 
but it kind of looks like it. And then they keep emailing Daniel and telling Daniel I'm stuck in Africa and just need him to wire me a little bit of money to get me out. And it happens all the time. If you get one, it's fake. Please don't assume it's me. But the funny thing is, the reason they do that is because it works. And it really works when it comes to romance scams. I I saw this the the other day that the Federal Trade Commission reports that in 2022, 70,000 people, 70,000 reported losses from romance scammers that added up to a total, this blows my mind, $1.3 billion dollars. With a medium loss of $4,400 a piece, that's way up from 56,000 Americans. We're getting getting more gullible. And 547 million people in 2021, so we're just getting more and more gullible. Here's what we found out. The FTC says 40% of romance scams victims say first contact began on social media. And 19% began on dating websites or apps. The scammers often tell elaborate lies to, tied to a fake identity. And the most popular lie using these scams is saying someone is sick, hurt, or in, j- in jail, lost in Africa or Nigeria, and needs money ASAP. It's known as, I didn't know this, it's known as um, pig butchering. This could be a little insulting, but it's pig butchering has nothing to do with your weight, but it does say that the scammers like to fatten you up and then take everything you've got. The scam typically begins with someone starting a conversation on a dating app or sending a text or a random phone number. Once trust is established, the scammers will start to encourage the victim to invest in a fake crypto app or bail them out of Nigeria or bail them out of Africa or just help me this one time. Once... Trust is established. I know people this has happened to. And someone will start telling you, ladies, how, how pretty you are, how, how um, it's normally a senior adult, you know, how, how pretty you are, how, how happy you look. And oh, by the way, I just have this one issue in my life. And sometimes they'll drag you along week after week, month after month, before they punch you with the number. Listen, if you get an email or text message or Facebook message, for goodness sake, it's never true love. And it cannot be trusted. That's my uh, public service announcement for today. If you've never never met them face-to-face, they are not real. You can't trust the romance online. Now, I'm not saying you can't find a spouse through a dating app. Hundreds of people have done that. But random emails, random, it can't be trusted. And the truth is, true love can always be trusted. Especially when that love is the love of God in your life. Hear me this morning. So many people because of how we were raised, so many people because of our own uh, parent issues growing up, so many people still don't feel like they can trust the love of God, that it almost feels like the love of God is a scam in and of itself. But hear me this morning, it is not. God is love and that love can be trusted. I'll show you a second thing. I, I got to move a little faster. Let me tell you something else about the love of God. Number two, love is not 
all God is. Love is not all God is. We can't just get hung up on God is love because 1 Peter 1.6 says, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. So here's what we know in theological terms. One of the core aspects of God is the fact that God is love. One of the characteristics of God is he's love, but that's not the only one. We, we, we read our Bibles and we know God is infinite. God is immutable. God is self-sufficient. God is omnipotent, which means he has all power. He's omniscient, which means he has all knowledge. He's omnipresent, means he's everywhere all the time. God's always watching, just so you know. God is wise. God is faithful. God is good. God is just. He is infinitely, unchangeably right and perfect in all that he does. God is merciful. God is holy. Holy. God is holy. And sometimes we're in a culture now that has taken the love of God to a place that is outside the love of God. Is God love? Yes, but it's not all God is. God is not just love. God is just. God is not just love. God is righteous. God is not just love, God is holy. And one characteristic never overrides another characteristic. So you can't say God is more loving than he is holy. No, you can't say God is more loving than he is righteous. No, you can't say God is more loving than he is just. No, God is all those things in their totality, full to the rim at most. You say, why is that important? The reason we have to say all this is because we have a culture that wants to uh, tout the love of God but leave out the holiness of God. And when that happens, you, you start seeing this. God's love is fully inclusive. Now, is God's love fully inclusive? True? Absolutely. But it doesn't mean what they say it means. See, God's love is inclusive, but God's love is not an endorsement of whatever lifestyle I want to live. God's love is not a license to live apart from his divine holiness. God says he is holy, so I should be holy. And so we have verses like this, Romans 6. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Let me tell you what that means. Love doesn't say God loves me, I can do whatever I want. Love said God loves me, so I want to live up to that standard of God's love. As much as God is loving, he's also holy. And if you're a murderer, God doesn't say, will you just keep on murdering and I love you exactly how you are. If you're living in sexual immorality, the Bible doesn't say just, it's fine, you just stay out there. You commit adultery all you want. I love you right where you are. And does he love me? Yes, but he's drawing me back to a place of holiness every single time. God is love, but that's not all love. And I, I'm going to have to hurry up, all right? Number three, number three, God says his love. I love the way the CSB wor uh, words John three sixteen. God for God loved the world in this way. You know the rest of it. He gave his only begotten son. It's important to hear it said that God loves you. 
that God loves me. It's so important for us to hear those words that somebody loves us. Another study in the journal Family Psychology found frequent expressions of love and affection from their parents. Uh, those children had higher levels of emotional well-being, fewer, fewer behavioral problems just from you saying you loved your, your ki- kids and all of that. Study, another study said that parent, part, uh, spouses who expressed affection and said, I love you more frequently, reported higher levels of relationship fa- satisfaction and lower levels of conflict. So let me say it. It's so important for you to hear it. So I want to say it to you this morning. God loves you. And God loves you so much throughout the Bible. He says it over and over. Theologians tell us around 300 times in the Bible, God says, I love you. Can you hear me say it this morning on God's behalf? God loves you. John three sixteen is just one of those verses where God said to you, I loved you. That leads me in the fourth thing, and that is this about the love of God. Number four, it's this. Not, God not only said it, but God proved it. God proved it. Romans 5, 8. But God proves his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, why is that verse important? It means while we were not looking for God, while we didn't care about God, while we were doing what was right in our own eyes, God, Christ died for us. We see it on the cross. Jesus hanging on the cross and a bunch of sinners around him, people who killed him. And the people who killed him, Jesus looked to heaven and said what? Father, forgive them for they know not what to do. That's love. It's easy to say love. It's harder to prove love. Jesus did the most complete proof of all. He gave his life for you. There's nothing that could be done about our lost sinful condition. God stepped into time. And became the sacrifice the law demanded. Why? He loves us. Romans 5, 6, just a few verses before it says it so well. For while we were helpless, helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. It's one thing to tell somebody you love them. It's another thing to show it through your actions. And Jesus says, I love you 300 times in the Bible, but he proved it on the cross of Calvary. God proved his love and he died for you. And by the way, if you were going to be the only person that had ever trusted Jesus through all of time, he still would have died for you. He loved you. He proved his love for you. Number five, he shows his love. Romans 8, 31 says this, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, that act of love we've been talking about. How will he not also with him grant us everything or all things? You say, what does that mean, preacher? It means that the same love that caused God to give his life for us also causes him to give us everything we need in life. The same God that gave his life for us also causes him to give us everything we need in life. That is, as a child of God, everything you need in life is taken care of by your heavenly Father who loves you. That is every spiritual need you may have. That is every physical need you may have. That is every emotional need you may have is taken care of by the love of God. And every day of your life, throughout all of eternity, God's showing his love for you. 
God says it. God proved it. God shows it. But let me tell you something, number six. Just because God loves you does not mean you love him. John 14, 15, he said this, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Can, can I give you a little theological lesson this morning? We think of loving God as having the warm fuzzies for God. You like the warm fuzzies, don't you? I, I love the warm fuzzies. I, I have the warm fuzzies for my wife. I have the warm fuzzies for the Atlanta Braves. I have the warm fuzzies for a bag of Doritos. Right? And, and we think... We think loving God is about having the warm fuzzies for them. Not true. For God, loving him is being obedient to him. It's taking this book, finding out how he wants us to live, what our relationship is going to be like. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, be obedient to me. This statement is not so much a promise that, that the one who loves him will keep his commandments as it is a definition of love himself. So I'll, I'll just be honest. Here's how the Christ would define love. If you are disobedient to the word of God, all he hears is, I do not love you. That's all he hears from us. When we are continually in rebellion and disobedience to the commands and laws of God, all he hears is, I do not love you. But obedience is, I do love you. Just because I love God, does, God loves me doesn't mean, hear me this morning, when you love God, you keep his commandments. When you love God and you stumble across a Bible verse that says thou shall or thou shalt not, it says thou shalt not and you're shalling in your life, then you stop the shalling because it says thou shalt not, that's love. That's love. So finally, number seven, here's what I want you to know about the love of God. Jesus loves me, this I know, but you must accept God's love. John three sixteen again, for God loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So I the first six points were really just introduction. Hear me this morning. God loves you. The good news is the question of life, is there a God? Does he want a relationship with me? Does he love me? Yes, he does. You, God loves you and God wants a relationship with you, but it's not automatic. You have to receive it. Yes, God loves you. Yes, God gave his life for you. But unless you receive it, you're on the outside looking in. You're his creation, but not his child. So let me ask, why would you leave that on the table? One of the most interesting stories I've ever seen was about Starbucks. How many of you have ever had a Starbucks gift card in your possession? Can I see your hand? You've ever had a Starbucks? So almost all of us. Some of you don't even drink coffee and somebody's giving you a Starbucks card. If anybody ever gives you a Starbucks card and you don't want it, give it to me. I'll take it every time. Did you know that Starbucks has sold $1.6 billion worth of Starbucks cards, hear me, that were not redeemed? 
not redeemed. Not redeemed. In 2021, 160 million of that was added as Starbucks breakage. I'll explain that in a moment. Breakage revenue. And guess what? Nearly all of that would be profit for the company. The unused balance of a gift card is written off at the end of a year or its validity that is called breakage. 10% of unused gift card revenue results in the breakage, allowing Starbucks to have $160 million a year. So here's a graph, man, this is just fascinates me, that if a customer purchases a $25 gift card, a customer redeems $22 for coffee, and then that $3 typically winds up in the garbage. And so Starbucks doesn't just make the profit off the coffee, they make the three bucks that you didn't spend and it's called breakage. Get this, the program accounts for more than 40% of the company's revenue. Because in 2021, they sold $10.5 billion worth of gift cards in 2021. Why don't you use the card? You know this. They forget about the gift card. They may not spend the full amount of gift card. Even if they leave cents, even if they leave cents, Starbucks gets it. No other brand in the world has a higher percentage of sales through gift cards. Starbucks not in the coffee business. Starbucks is in the gift card business. And they're making a fortune. Again, if you get a Starbucks gift card, I will, I will unashamedly take it. Every year, people leave that money unspent, unclaimed. If you're in a room, would you stand with me this morning? What does that have to do with the love of God? Because every Sunday, somebody will walk away from a service and leave the love of God unspent and unclaimed. I showed you that because you think it's horrible to leave billions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars on the table. Listen, in eternity, it's far, far worse, far, far worse to leave the love of God unclaimed, unaccepted. God loves you this morning. Hear me, God loves you. God wants a relationship with you but you have to accept it today. If you're watching online, Pastor Jeremy has a word for you. Thank you, Pastor Joel, for that great message. The question he addressed today is, does God really love me? And I know as I've had conversations with people, there are some people who truly wonder, does God really love me? Perhaps there are things in their past that they've done that they can't get over. And the truth is, the reality is for you and I, God does love us. He loves us to the extent that He sent His only Son to die on the cross to pay for our sins. You know why? Because He wants a relationship with you. If you've never started that relationship, and maybe you've wondered, does God love me? It begins with you understanding that you're a sinner. You can't fix your sin problem. Your sin separates you from God. And, uh, and you've got to be willing to admit that. You've got to believe that Jesus died on the cross. He was buried. 
and then he, he rose again on the third day, conquering sin, death, and hell for you and I. You've got to believe that. And then third, you have to confess Him as your personal Lord and Savior. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, We believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth and we will be saved. So if God has spoken to your heart this morning and your desire is to give your heart and life to Him in the quietness of this moment, right wherever you are, tell God this, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that you died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin so that you could have a relationship with me and you could give me a home in heaven. Right now, through the power of your Holy Spirit, I ask you to come into my heart, take away my sin. Lord, I give my life to you in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer this morning, we want to say welcome to the family. We want to celebrate that with you and we want to help you take next steps on your faith journey with Jesus. And so, you can click on the link we've just dropped in the chat box that says, I commit my life to Christ. And um, we're going to send you some information. We're going to connect with you. We want to help you take next steps on your journey with Jesus. It has been awesome to be together this morning. I look forward to these times each week and I hope you have a great week. Don't forget, invite, invite, invite. We'll see you next Sunday. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.